This is Tell Me About Your Father, a podcast about daddy issues, father figures, and dismantling the paternal mystique. Well, his name was Ross William. He grew up in a suburb of Sydney called Five Dock. He had one older brother who became a famous wrestler on TV, who was like the opposite of him, which I'd never thought about that now, but they were very, very, very different people, just like my brother Peter and I are. My father was kind of a very charismatic, gregarious person. I think he, he people loved him at being at a party. He could sing. He would lead the singing at the rugby. He was very much involved in things socially. I think when I was born, he kind of stopped doing a lot of the party stuff because he wanted to be a good father. And I think a lot of people resented my mother because they thought that she stopped him from going to things. But he made that decision. And he was working for the local council. Um, And when he died, actually, they planted a tree. I planted the tree, actually. They had a ceremony. And there is a tree in Sydney with a plaque next to it saying his name. I don't know where it is because they moved it. And I tried to get in touch with the council and they can't seem to find anyone who knows anything about it. And on a recent trip, Scott and I went to look around the area where possibly could be we couldn't find anything but that's what I've pieced together. Matt you wrote an essay about how and when your dad died and how it was similar even though you were what how old were you? Almost four I was almost four years old. We were in a park we had blankets on the ground there are prams everywhere there are a bunch of kids friends of our family, friends of my father's family, families of my father's friends, rather, because my father and his friends would run these fun runs, these marathons. So while he was doing that, we were having a picnic nearby. Everything was normal. He did this semi-routinely. I remember that it was a blue blanket. I was holding onto a stroller and standing there, and it was a nice day. There was green grass. And then... All of a sudden, all the adults started running. Some of the adults started running. And, like, something was obviously wrong. And then this kid that I knew who was with us just came up to me and goes, your dad's dead in this sort of, like, taunt. Like, the taunt of a five-year-old. Like, he didn't know any better. I've never really been angry at him for that. But my reaction at the time was, oh, you're not going to get me on this. Like, no, I froze and I just went, yeah, I know. And that was it. And I was told later that he'd had a myocardial infarction. Well, I wasn't told that. I was told he had a heart attack and that he died before he even hit the ground. So there was no chance that he would ever have been revived. And there were doctors running near him. So they kind of were immediately able to come and see what was happening and help. But It was just, it was done. I don't remember anything else. But after that, my aunt, maybe a week or two later, my aunt and I were talking apparently. She told me this like a year or two ago. And I said to her that I was afraid my mother would die in a similar way, which didn't make any sense medically speaking. But it, you know, shows how you process that kind of thing as a child. Do you remember a funeral? I do. I remember standing up on the pew... I remember there was light, coloured wood. It was in some contemporary church. I don't think my father was particularly religious, but Mm -hmm. his mother was Catholic. 
I have no memory of my grandmother's reaction to it at all. And I spent a lot of time with my grandmother up until she died when I was something like 16. I would hang out with her every week, just the two of us. I talked to her about all sorts of things. And I, do, I don't know why I never thought about this, but I never, she never spoke about him. My mother has no memory of her reaction to his death either. It's, it's baffling to me. What are your strongest memories of your dad before he died? I remember him coming home on a, a Friday with chips from the fish and chip shop or and like a candy bar. I remember him wrestling with me. I remember us sitting on the couch watching, I think what was basically MTV and a hot chocolate music video came on and I was like, I want a hot chocolate. And my father goes, you, no, you don't. You only want this because it's on television. And I'm like, yeah, no, but I still want one because I don't know. And anyway, so it was like stuff like that. I have, it's interesting that I remember very clearly the moment finding out that he was dead. And then I don't remember crucial things that happened after that. One thing that I don't have any memory of, but is still kind of amazing is this tape that I have of my father and I talking on June 17, 1980 at around 7 p.m., um, the day before that I turned two. My parents had sat down with me and recorded some stuff on an audio cassette to send to my godmother in London. She then kept the tape and sent it to me in the mid-90s. I brought that to New York and when I, when I moved here and then it just went missing. And I looked everywhere for it, but I couldn't find it. And then I'd periodically pretend that it had never existed because I was just like so mad at myself for being so negligent with something that's so important. But then like in summer last year, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but then in summer last year, I just went, why don't I just ask her if she still has a recording? Maybe she just sent us a copy of it. And she said, oh, I've been thinking about that. Actually, let me have a look for it. She went into her attic, found the original, made a digital recording of it and emailed it to me. So now it can't be lost. And it's the only recording that exists of his voice. I mean, certainly to my knowledge. So I'm going to play a bit of it right now. Okay. What does the chicken say? And tell me, what does the cowboy say? Maybe, why am cowboy? That's my boy. Right am cowboy. Right am cowboy. Mm. And what does a sailor say? That's right. What does the sailor say again? Does the sailor say what? Do you know what the sailor says? Eho! That's right. Heave ho, my hearties. That's the boy. <laughs> Chicken say good morning. <laughs> what did I know? I'm just a kid in that. It's so weird because I don't recognize either of those voices, mm -hmm. which is not uncommon when you listen to something, but then you go, oh, that's me. Mm -hmm. It's not somebody else. It's literally me. Right. And I have no memory of his voice either. It's like a very foreign voice to me. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, I don't know. What else comes up for you listening to that that audio besides that the weird that weird feeling of seeing yourself or hearing yourself at a time that you don't remember? Um, I think the grandfather clock when you listen to it now in the context of his death it's kind of really ominous to me like it feels like time ticking away because he would be dead within two years of that um so it's like kind of strange but also it's sort of i don't know whether it's really difficult or sad or not i don't know what it is but you know there there's a kind of innocent joy that exists that also was to be obliterated. Yeah. I, what I love about that uh, audio is that he keeps saying, that's my boy. Did you have any concept of death before he died? I had none, none yeah. whatsoever. And I had I experienced it, but I still didn't remember it because my grandfather had died, and apparently, I have no memory of this, sadly, but he and I used to sit on the front veranda at his house and we would talk, just the two of us, and I don't have any memory of that. So he he must have died at some point within relative proximity of this recording being made. But, yeah, and that was it. I Yeah, aside from that, I didn't know. Did you understand after he died that it was forever? The concept of death being final. Um, yeah, because I felt really afraid. And if it wasn't forever, I don't think I would have felt really afraid. But I don't know how that played out. I used to wait for him on the steps in the morning, or afternoon rather, for him to come home. But I totally knew he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I knew that wasn't going to he wasn't going to come back. And I think I would tell my mother I was doing this, knowing that he wasn't coming back. And I don't know why I did that. It wasn't to be cruel. I mean, it was just sort of trying to bring context to what was affecting us so much at that time, or bring up what was happening. But I would go and sit there. Yeah. Yeah, how old were you? Like four-ish. Yeah. Four. Yeah. I don't know. I think that, like, even adults, when they lose people, it's like there's that, you know, the Joan Didion magical thing. You're a magical thinking, like, maybe if I go sit on the steps, that person will come back. I think that's, there was a lot of me that was, that was what I was thinking. Of just grieving. But I didn't cry. Right. I wasn't crying about this. I felt it in other ways mm-hmm. um, so it wasn't like sadness but it was everything else and vulnerability and panic and anxiety and loss I was kind of jealous of other people I think who had fathers and yeah I'm not sure what whether I felt sadness you have a brother right I have two younger brothers and were they were they, how old were they? You my, were three, how old were they? My brother Peter was one, mm-hmm. and my younger brother, my youngest brother Andrew had not been born, and my mother was just pregnant with him. <sighs> so she did the whole pregnancy, not alone, but certainly without her mm-hmm. husband. Did he know before he died that she was pregnant? Yes, 
He did. That's and I sad. remember him telling us in the kitchen, and it was like... Oh, he told He was really excited. He was like, you're going to have Aww. another baby brother or sister. And we didn't know whether Andrew was a girl or a boy, and we were talking about names, and I wanted to call him Anne. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. And Mum was like, no, it's going to be Alison. And I'm like, God, why Alison? Anyway. But you must be the only child that has memories of your father, right? I am. My yeah. brother Peter does not have any memories of Did that make you feel like responsible to share what you remembered about him with them or sup superior even? I don't know. It was so interesting because when the show This Is Us had like a season ago, like maybe two seasons ago, and Justin Hartley's character became really interested in his father's experience in Vietnam. So he just went, I'm going to go find out about this, goes to Vietnam, discovers his father has a brother, etc. And from watching that, I went, I want to do that too. And so I went back to Australia and called my father's best friend, two of his best friends, one of whom is my godfather, and invited them over for dinner. And I hadn't spoken to either of them. I didn't even know the, I don't even think I've had a conversation with my godfather, which can I say is actually kind of bullshit <laughs> because that's his only job. And my father died. He shows up, I think... I don't even remember what he did, but never, never heard from him again until last year. We had this dinner in Sydney and it made sense that Alan, my godfather, actually didn't talk to me after a while of watching him react to the questions because it was so horrifyingly sad for him. Mm that I kind of realized, oh, it must have just been too much for him. And he, I remember he looked at me a couple of times that night and he kind of was looking through my face, like he could kind of see mm. my father's face in mine. And I think he found that, I didn't talk to him about this, but I, I got that sense. And then he was almost in tears at various points um, talking about it. And this is, you know, we're talking 38 years later. Yeah. You know, this is not a recent thing. And then on the way out, he kind of grabbed my hand and he goes, your father was just such a true friend to me. Oh. And like, I think I kind of was like, I see maybe you just couldn't face it to come back and deal with me as a child. My godfather did say, you know, I think your father would be really proud of you. And I'm like, that's the thing I want to know. And I can never know the answer to it. And he's like, I can tell you that's, he would have been really proud of who you are. So that's interesting. That's kind of nice. He's a primary source. It's still not the same and it'll never be resolved. But I guess that's kind of how I think about it. I really only started writing about it or thinking about it in the last few years. I, I was extremely depressed as a teenager and it got very, very bad. And I started having, you know, things like self-harm and I couldn't move, I couldn't think or remember things. And I was seeing this, I started seeing this kind of alternative therapist and she was talking to me about things and she's like, oh my God, I mean, you have this enormous amount of unresolved sadness about your father's death. And we did this sort of symbolic gestural thing that was supposed to release tension from it. I'd never, it never occurred to me that my father's death would be affecting me 18 years later. I cannot tell you, the, the difference was between night and day. It was extraordinary how intense that change was from just doing this weird symbolic kind of, we're going to release tension, we're going to With think about With your hands, physically? Um, I can't, 
it was more of a like kind of cognitive. It was behavior? like a process of imagining. It was called timeline therapy. Okay. So you're imagining all these things and you're doing these sort of symbolic moments. And just acknowledging that, I was really surprised. But then I went, of course. And it was just extraordinary the difference it made, just acknowledging that. It seems like one of those things you would go through because it happened when you were so young that you sort of just go through life. Like, this is a thing I know about my family and about myself is that I don't have a dad. And so, in a way, it it makes sense to me that you would go, that it wouldn't occur to you that, of course, you're grieving. Him, yeah, and you know? no one, I mean, for, I do actually have a father, my, I have my stepfather, Keith, mm-hmm. who married my mom in 1986 or something. And so I have had a father figure of my entire life because my father's death was never processed in any way. There was never any kind of mm. counselling or anything about it whatsoever. And I think my family just kind of tried to move on. That was, I think, why that happened. Would you characterise that as a stiff upper lip or was it yeah. more... It was. Yep. I Do think you think it, that was a little bit cultural? It certainly fueled an enormous amount of resentment that I had towards my younger brother because he was a one-year-old and he was just like being a kid. And I was deathly afraid of being attacked and all sorts of uh, constant nightmares. And I By death? Um, like your attack, fam- your family. I being. had Yeah, I felt like we were unprotected as a result of my father dying and so I had these constant nightmares of people breaking into our house and picking up my brother Andrew by the feet and smashing his head against the wall and... You know, I would really panic about this kind of stuff. And then, but Peter didn't have any of that because he didn't, why would he? But, and I just was so, I hated him so much because he didn't have to be responsible for knowing that. Yeah. And it took me a really long time to understand why I had so much resentment towards him and it wasn't his fault. And he, I think, has been really instrumental in us being friends. But I think it was really... I don't know. I didn't, it was it was so unusual why I was so angry at him. And a lot of people would comment on that, like, why you guys fight in such an ex- extreme way. We're the opposite of each other in a lot of ways, but I think that was really a primary reason. Did you ever talk about that later in your life as, as brothers? I talk about, I mean, I'm in therapy. I talk yeah. about this stuff. My brother is a policeman and he, you know, he's a, he's a genuinely warm, friendly, so wonderful person. So he became person. a professional protector. I don't think he mm. felt unsafe. I don't think he did. Interesting. But I think he just, he's a very good person, um, but he doesn't r- communicate in that way. Yeah. Do you think you were depressed in high school or when you were a teenager partly because of his absence or were you not connecting it or I didn't could connect it, it have been something else? I think I had it, well, yeah, I think I was... The usual juvenile. Well, mix. I, you know, like I also was gay. I'm yeah. gay, and so and I wasn't okay with it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. This is not going to happen. And I was just in this like conflicted turmoil, and it was exhausting. And also, I think because of his death, I have this quite pronounced abandonment issues, which manifest very extremely in a physical sense. So. I think these were kind of all rolled into one. And also, you know, doctors have said to me, you know, it's just a really volatile time in terms Mm. of chemicals and hormones in your body, and and that's probably part of it too. Do you ever dream about your father? No. 
I never have. Okay. I've never dreamt about him at all. But you do sometimes think you see him. Yeah. I saw, I was literally, uh, maybe four weeks ago, I was walking in the tunnel between 6th and 7th Avenue and 14th Street to get to the 2 train. And I saw this person and I, and I actually stopped and turned around and was like, what? And I'm like going, I know this is obviously not my father, but like, what? I know it's interesting because I'll look at photos of him and I'll just stare and go, who are you? <laughs> like, it's so weirdly cinematic. You know, it's sort of like a TV show, like you think that's kind of cliche, but it actually really is like what I do. Thanks for listening. Tell Me About Your Father was created and produced by Erin Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson and Matthew Philp. For more information, visit tellmeaboutyourfather.com. Follow us on Twitter at TMAYFpodcast and on Instagram at tellmeaboutyourfather. Call our hotline at 888-318-DADS 24 hours a day and tell us about your father. That's 888-318-DADS. This podcast was inspired by Erin's memoir, Don't Let Me Down, which is available where all good books are sold. Episodes were recorded by Rob Hahn at the Playground Studios in Brooklyn and edited by Chris Gellis and Emma Donoher. Our logo was designed by Cicero de Guzman and illustrated by Richard Verges. Special thanks to Mark Sussman, Jessica Suarez, Michael Vescio, and Betsy Lerner. <laughs>